0: So Yemen is really the birthplace of coffee culture. Everything that we see today, the cafe culture, baristas, roasters, everything that we see that we associate with coffee was, was born in Yemen. And yet in popular culture, people, people aren't aware of that at all. We've almost been wiped out of coffee history. There are a lot of complicated reasons for that. Partly it's because uh, when coffee moved out of Yemen in the, in, the, in the 15th century, 16th century, it went into other countries in which State really state-sponsored colonial capitalism was, was in place via the Dutch and the British East India Company, so, which meant that farmers in those countries were forced to produce coffee at very, very cheap rates. And farmers in Yemen were free. Uh, and so it, really Yemeni coffee was out-competed. It was really, it was out-competed from the global sea. This is season two of Instant Coffee, where we explore everything related to food in the Middle East. I'm Nadine al And I'm Rival Sleiman Haidar, and together we want to understand how food is shaping people's writing, thinking, and organizing in the region. Every episode, we bring you a conversation between a guest and a colleague of ours at the center. This podcast is called Instant Coffee, so it's only right we have an episode about the birthplace of the rocket fuel, Yemen. So we spoke with Faris Shebani, a British Yemeni social entrepreneur and founder of Kimma Coffee, a Yemeni social enterprise that uses coffee as a vehicle for livelihood generation in Yemen. We invited our colleague Madawi Arashid to speak to Faris because of her deep understanding of and connection to the Gulf region. Madawi is visiting professor at the LSE Middle East Centre and fellow at the British Academy.
1: Hello Faris I'm so excited to discuss with you coffee uh, and through your work on coffee we will get to talk about big issues uh, first um, I'm really interested in your background as someone who was born in in Britain and uh, uh, pursued education in the best institutions of the country worked in oil and gas but uh, since 2015, you've switched to coffee. Could you just tell me how that happened? Uh,
0: hi, Madai. First of all, thank you for, for having me. I'm, I'm excited and honored to be to be a part of your show. Um, so my my uh, background: uh, I'm a Yemeni by heritage, of course, by origin, born in the UK. Uh, and since my very early kind of years, uh, I would travel back and forth to Yemen. And I was very, I became very aware of the disparity in living standards, quality of life, just life in general between Yemen and the UK, which is where I was growing up. And very early on that really inculcated, developed this very acute awareness of the injustice that exists in the world. Um, And uh, and really from my early teens, really from my early teens, I, I started to develop this intention, this desire, this drive to do something That would help to somehow, you know, move towards rebalancing that 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 the injustices that that exist, socio-economic injustices, uh, primarily. Um, And uh, it's a long story. I didn't start in coffee. I started in oil and gas. That was initially my vehicle of choice. I was dedicated and determined to really making the most of my very privileged experiences, being in the UK, academic, professional uh, opportunities that were not really my that were not a result of my own efforts. I was just. I happened to be born in the uk in a very privileged environment um, and that made me work very hard uh, and and make the most of it and when when the war in Yemen uh, broke out I saw coffee as a very good opportunity to deliver a uh, socioeconomic uplift for Yemen and so I left my my past my previous career and it was a very successful career in oil and gas and moved into coffee really with the aim of of using coffee as a vehicle to to generate livelihoods in Yemen.
1: Well, as you know, there is a surge in the consumption of coffee globally. And we know that Yemen was one of the most ancient producer of coffee. But it seems to me that today we hear about coffee coming from Colombia, coming from Brazil, coming from Indonesia. But why is Yemeni coffee overlooked in this sort of global market coffee, although it was one of the first ancient producer of coffee.
0: Ethiopia is probably the origin of the coffee tree, where the tree originated. But Yemen is where the coffee drink was first made, because coffee is a cherry on a tree, and so someone had to take that cherry and turn it into, a, into what we know today as a coffee drink, and that happened in Yemen. That was the Sufis in West Yemen who first who first developed that, you know, turned it from a cherry into a drink, and they would drink it for for, for, for night long meditations. So Yemen is really the birthplace of coffee culture. Everything that we see today, the cafe culture, uh, baristas, roasters, everything that we see that we associate with coffee really had, was, was born in Yemen. And yet, as you said, in popular culture, people, people aren't aware of that at all. We've almost been wiped out of coffee history uh, and people will talk about Colombia and Brazil. And when we sometimes speak of Yemeni coffee, People think it's a new thing. They say, "Oh, we are. so people have started growing coffee in Yemen." You know, it's it's a novel idea. And we say, "Well, it's been happening for almost a thousand years." And and I think that's that's that, that a lot of complicated reasons for that. Partly, it's because uh, when coffee moved out of Yemen in the in the in the 15th century, 16th century, it went into other countries in which state really state-sponsored colonial capitalism was was in place via the the, the the Dutch and the British East India Company. So, which meant that. Farmers in those countries were forced to produce coffee at very, very cheap rates, and farmers in Yemen were free. Uh, And so really Yemeni coffee was outcompeted. It was really, it was outcompeted from the global scene.
1: This is really interesting uh, because uh, when we talk about uh, you know agriculture in Yemen, everybody talks about qat but never talks about coffee, which is so important. Um, and and what I want to ask you is, could you tell us a little bit about the area of Yemen where uh, uh, coffee is planted, and what uh, the uh, you know uh, the the, uh, the the problems that uh, farmers had since two. 2015, when the war started in Yemen?
0: If you look at Yemen as a coffee growing country, uh, first of all, I said that it was probably the birthplace of the, coffee, of, of, of the coffee drink. It's also probably the first place in which coffee was grown by farmers, which is interesting. So you might just say, but wait, you told me that the tree came from Ethiopia. The tree was grown wild. It was just in the forest in Ethiopia. In Yemen, well, it was probably the first place in which farmers, human beings, came and tried to cultivate this which is quite different and so the areas that the coffee grows in, in Yemen and it's really on the western side of Yemen on the on the western mountain belt of Yemen that, re, that runs from Sada all the way in the north uh, down to Ibn Taiz and some in Yafir that's really the mountain kind of the mountain belt of Yemen. Uh, these These places have been growing coffee for a very 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 long time and it's When we go on the ground and when we speak to farmers and when we ask them, how long have you been growing coffee, you, your family? They will talk about 10 generations. And you don't see that anywhere else in the world. You can travel, we have traveled to maybe 20 coffee growing countries. That's unheard of. You just do not see that. The war in general has destroyed the fundamental civic and socioeconomic infrastructure of Yemen, you know, Um, really at its very core, the foundations of of the the, fa- the foundational basics of what you need for a functioning state have 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 really have disintegrated, uh, and when you talk about specifically farmers, they are extremely remote. They're not you know they're typically not where the NGOs will will easily operate, uh, and so they are quite often forgotten. They are really quite often on the peripherals of, of society, uh, and that's why you know that's why really we established Kima. That was really the fundamental. Driver, because there are these rural communities that have gold, really this beautiful, magical crop that can be used to transform their lives, that's been completely, completely overlooked.
1: Well, this is really a very, very uh, worrying situation, um, and, and um, it, it is uh, worrying, and we hope that this situation will change. Let me ask you something about, uh, uh, you know, coffee and society, and in particular, the relationship between uh, the development of coffee as a drink in Yemen and the Sufi orders who wanted to stay up all night reciting, uh, uh, you know, Quranic verses or chants. Um, and coffee has always, always been associated with sociability. Um, so uh, tell me about how uh, this, this product, this, this grain, uh, uh, penetrated these religious orders in Yemen and then spread uh, around the world. And even now, you know, it is, uh, so it's not just simply like having a, a drink or having an orange juice. If you want to meet someone, you know, you say, let's go for a coffee. And if you want to discuss something, you always have to have a coffee. So it's really an integrated part of our social, emotional, and psychological
0: life. So the first person who discovered, who is said to have discovered coffee, or, or I should say, the first person who is mentioned in historic literature for using uh, or drinking the coffee drink is Ali ibn Umar al Shadili from the Shadili order. Uh, which, which still exists in some parts of, of West Yemen, um, and, uh, and they really saw the drink as an aid because, you know, in, in the Sufi orders, n- night-long litanies, night-long remembrance, as you said, the uh, prayers or Quran or whatever, are part of, part of, really, a fundamental part of the Sufi way uh, of the devotion, the all-night devotion. Uh, and and they really saw it as an aid, as a very practical aid to keep them up at night and, and, and focused on meditations and prayers and litanies. And then interestingly, about 100 years later, it was forbidden. In Mecca, it's some edicts that came out that made it haram, that made it forbidden. So there was this really interesting dynamic you know, with coffee where in the beginning it was it was discovered or used for almost spiritual purposes. And then there was almost a spiritual... Or religious, a religious maybe a uh, backlash against the drink, and the same thing occurred with coffee's connection with kind of social and political discussions. And in, 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 in the beginning, when when because the Ottomans were occupying parts of North Yemen in the 16th century, and so coffee made its way to, to Istanbul, and and there suddenly it was a social lubricant for discussions, discussions on social affairs, on politics, and so suddenly by by political leaders, it was seen as a threat. Coffee was seen again as a threat to political order. Uh, and so coffee has had this interesting, interesting journey yeah, where it's always kind of, it's always been opposed by those who are against free thinking. Somehow it still made its way throughout the centuries to where it is today. And now, as you said, today it's associated with discussion and, and thought and critical thinking and, and emotional, social, economic discussions that affect all parts of life.
1: I happen to believe that it's really not the marketing of coffee as it happened in the 20th century. But this ancient tradition of associating coffee with social life, with political discourse is extremely important and it's it, it is an ancient tradition and marketing today with the coffee brands is only a late comer to this game so uh, i I just wanted to ask you about the consumption now of this important plant Uh, in yemen uh, you know uh, it is the same grain that is used and it 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 comes in a cup that is completely different as it travels beyond its original habitat so for example you know you could have it very dark sweet Um, uh, unchanged by any uh, additional substance like milk, or you could add uh, spices to it, uh, such as cardamom. And then it travels to North America and we have it with sort of caramel and whipped cream and milk. So what do you make out of this sort of proliferation of the cup of uh, coffee? And I would say it's distortion because for me, coffee is that black liquid uh, without any sugar, and it's just that smell and aroma.
0: Yeah, yeah very interesting question. So I think, um, so first of all, I think in line with the very diverse and inclusive nature of coffee, coffee has always been the central, this, this interesting drink that would allow for diversity. So in in the spirit of that, I we encourage people to experience coffee in different ways, you know? Uh, it's nice that people, it's, I, get, I get. it's part of the appeal of coffee that it can be drank with milk or with spices or, 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 or black. Now, if you ask me as a coffee professional, I, uh, coffee is extremely expressive. And I think when you talk about specialty coffee, which is the market that we operate in, which is really high-end premium coffee, we say that each particular coffee tree or product or farm will have a specific profile. And the only way you can experience that flavor profile is if you drink it pure. Uh, and so that's 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 how we, of course, would, would encourage people to to experience, you know, our coffees, chemo coffees, the farmers' coffees, because then you will really, you'll be shocked, you'll be amazed at the diversity, the, the diversity in flavors that you can get in coffees. Uh, and it's not just black, bitter, you know, it's you'll have one that has notes of Fruits and strawberries, and you have another one that has notes of citrus—you know, citrus fruits or maybe jasmine—without adding any flavors. I'm th- this is just the natural expression of the coffee from that tree. I guess more importantly, we also encourage to look beyond the drink and remember that there is a person behind that drink, and that's that's the beauty of what we try to do. We try to make this this experience of consumption, drinking, to an experience of human connection. so that when you're drinking it, you're not only experiencing the beauty, the sensorial beauty of the drink, but you're also connecting at some level with the person, the farmer, the human behind that drink. And that's, that's what excites me about coffee.
1: Um, let me just ask you about uh, farming itself in Yemen. As you know, you know, the whole of the Arab world is suffering water shortages because of climate change. So uh, I I understand that uh, your farmers are, have small holdings of land. Uh, so um, it hasn't actually gone beyond that in terms of in the industrialization of coffee farming. So w- w- in what ways is this uh, affected by climate change, by water shortages, and what, what impact uh, increased coffee farming have on the soil?
0: So this is one of the, more, one of the most fascinating things about Yemen. from a coffee perspective Yemen is probably the world's driest coffee growing country the world's driest by far and and if you look at the coffee books they will say that coffee will need you know 1500 millimeters of rainwater a year of rainfall in Yemen you have one third of that and yet you have coffee being grown across the country at very high quality levels and so this is really something that's Confusing. It's, it's really something that's, that's grabbing the attention now of, of coffee academics. You know, what, what, what exactly is the secret? What's happening here in such a dry country where the coffee trees are able to thrive and survive against what science almost would say or what, what we know from, 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 from agronomics? If you look at the rest of the world, there are a few studies that have been published uh, in the last year or two that say 60% of the Arabica species, the coffee Arabica species, it's, is facing the threat of extinction. Because of climate change, because of water, partly water stress. And so what's interesting is that the trees in Yemen might hold the secrets for trees that are able for coffee trees that are able to resist dry environments
1: Uh, this will need a lot of investment in scientific research and uh, do you have any uh, interested uh, global actors who might take up this project
0: so i think this is one of the the unfortunate things about what's happening in yemen from from an international development perspective most 99 percent of the development funds that are heading to yemen are for immediate humanitarian assistance so healthcare, life, life saving, you know, food, malnutrition, children, uh, this immediate humanitarian emergencies. And that's necessary because tomorrow people will die if that's not done. But at the same time, in order to maintain or to ensure the sustainability of Yemen, long-term sustainability of Yemen, we need to start building the, 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 the economy of Yemen. We need to start looking at development work. And, and this is an example of it, you know, and it's really simple. Coffee, if you give farmers income for coffee trees, they won't need humanitarian assistance in three years' time. They won't need it. Otherwise, you will keep having to, to attribute significant funds to humani- humanitarian assistance work forever, and that's not sustainable. And we can already see in the last you know, UN pledge round, only, I think, a third or a quarter of the total amount that they wanted to raise was raised. So what I'm saying is the international community is tired. They are really facing serious donor fatigue. And so I would hope that there's a shift from, from, not a shift, but a, a bit of a focus on development work, like the work that that we're doing. Um, because, you know, and to answer your question, no, there's nobody. So we are doing it ourselves. And we are not an international, multinational organization. You know, we're, we're a small startup that's doing our best to do what we can.
1: Well, Faris, you have a rich experience. You are living, uh, you know, you live between two cultures, the country, uh, your homeland, and the country where you were born. And then do you think coffee is a way for you personally to reconnect with the homeland the homeland that you weren't born in and and I'm sure a lot of uh, our second uh, third generation immigrants or people who are actually children of exiles and dissidents who had fled their homeland can uh, relate to is coffee a way for you to connect with the homeland
0: it's absolutely I mean it's it's, I've said this a lot it's one of the things I love about coffee and I guess there are lots of things that i love about coffee is that it's a connective not only for me and for sure for me and i've gone gone back and forth from yemen growing up but really with this business i established it you know five years ago now it's really meant i've gone deep into 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 yemen and not just into yemen not into cities into the most rural parts of yemen where people maybe haven't seen a car in all their lives we find 15 year olds who have never seen a car uh, and so that's been a very a, a, a profoundly deep experience, uh, 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 impactful experience of what Yemen is and really connecting at a very deep level with my country of origin. But also with the people that we work with, it's a beautiful connector, you know, uh, John sitting in the States or whoever else sitting in the UK or China or Korea or Japan, we, you know, we, we, we market our coffee to 35 countries. And it's really a way of these countries, the people in these countries connecting with Yemen and with the heritage, the culture, the history, the beauty of Yemen that they would otherwise never see.
1: So um, as a successful entrepreneur with conscience, what's your message uh, to uh, people of your generation who are thinking about how we could help our countries, although we are probably geographically so far away from these uh, homelands? What's your message to them?
0: Uh, Roll up your sleeves roll up your sleeves and, and start to understand what resources you have available, which typically, especially if you're a second or third generation you know, immigrant outside of Yemen, you, you probably have plenty of resources that, that people in Yemen would not have, and make use of them, really make use of them. And I think it's important for Yemen to stop relying on, on, on the international community to save it.
1: Well, thank you, Faris. I really, really welcome your passion and your determination to do something in in this very, very difficult moment in the history of Yemen. Well, thank you very much, Faris. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I'm going to get on the web and order my first uh, coffee from Yemen. Thank you very
0: much. Thank you very much, Mida. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to Instant Coffee, a podcast brought to you by the LSE Middle East Centre. Join us every other Tuesday for a new episode of Instant Coffee. To learn more about fatties and Thema coffee, follow the links in the podcast description. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and subscribe to our channel, wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to like comment and give us five stars.